Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, Kim Powers, Workplace Experience Director at IDO, Adrian F. Rowe, Global Director of Workplace at Merck, and Ryan Anderson, VP Digital Innovation, Herman Miller, discuss three heavily debated topics, generations, amenities and technology, and how they shape the workplace experience. Hey everyone, welcome to Cornet's What's Next podcast. I'm Ryan Anderson, Vice President of Digital Innovation at Herman Miller. And today we're gonna be questioning the conventional wisdom about three heavily discussed topics related to workplace, generations in the workplace, workplace amenities, and technology in the workplace. Joining me are two of my favorite thinkers and workplace practitioners, Adrian Rowe, Global Director of Workplace Strategy at Merck, and Kim Powers, Workplace Experience Director at IDEO. Ladies, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Can you each tell us a little bit about yourselves and what you do? Uh, Adrian, can you start? Sure. Uh, as you said, I'm, uh, I head up workplace strategy for Merck, um, which is a job, um, workplace strategy is a job I fell into about eight or 10 years ago and just fell in love with it. Um, so my role at Merck is global. Um, we're very decentralized. So um, my role is largely to set up the program and establish our global framework. But that said, I get hands-on in specific projects and to keep my fingers in the pulse of what's happening on the on the ground. Cool. Great. Kim? Uh, yeah, like Ryan said, I um, head up the experience, uh, workplace experience team in San Francisco for IDEO, which uh, we have about almost 500 employees uh, in this location. And my job encompasses ensuring that the experience is a meaningful one for employees and guests, and that can take form and shape from everything of how does the actual building function? How does furniture work? Meeting room setup, technology plays a big role in this, um, all the way down to what's the experience of um, being here on a day-to-day -day basis for employees, and then obviously for our clients and guests who come and visit with us. Cool. Well, I'm excited to be able to talk with you. Um, I've known both of you for a while. I just, I, you're great thinkers, and I always appreciate your insights. So this is a fun chance for us to talk about some hot topics. Um, I would like to note for all of our listeners that th the opinions you're gonna hear from us today are only our opinions, not necessarily those of our employers. So you'll be hearing from Adrian, Kim and Ryan, not necessarily Merck, IDEO or Herman Miller, but let's uh, dive right in. So uh, Adrian, let's talk first about a topic that you and I have talked about before. And I think our whole industry uh, has talked about at great depth, which is generations in the workplace where do you think we should like question the conventional wisdom on this topic? Well, as you know, this is one of my favorites um, and uh, it gets a lot of play in the media. Um, most of the workplace topics do because workplace is so personal and the generational narrative has been around for probably 20 years or more. Um, what's caught our attention recently is this backlash um, with hashtag okay boomer. Um, where it's really gotten to a level of being um, divisive and frankly counterproductive. So, um, you know, it's, it's worth exploring what's really underneath that narrative and what's fact and what's not. Um, and just as a refresher, the, the whole notion of generational theory is founded on this idea that based on when you were born and what global events were happening in your youth, we, you have certain personality um, characteristics um, and traits. Um, and the reality is that when you dive into the research, it, it just 
is not correct. Um, that you know we we uh, assume these characteristics about generations that really um, maybe either life stage or age related and on a more uh, on a continuum versus you know attributable to these discrete categories of generation. So what happens is um, we overgeneralize and we you know start to take that narrative as fact. Um, and there's a fine line between characteriz characterization and stereotyping. And so we start to cross into that line and it, it really becomes um, counterproductive. Because what we find about workplace is that, A, there's more that defines us as individuals than defines us as generations, that um, we're more unique um, as uh, as people than, you, you know, uh, than sort of classifiable in generational buckets. And at the same time, the fundamental needs of humans um, really go across all generations. So the basic fundamentals of a great workplace apply across the board. So not only is it counter, uh, is it not a useful construct in terms of predicting human behavior and, and trying to do good, make good dis business decisions from, but it has the added problem of creating barriers between groups who we really want to come together in the workforce. Yeah, and, and if I remember right, you have a research background before getting into workplace strategy, don't you? I do. I have an eclectic background, which actually started in HR. So, um, you know, I'm always, I, I was raised in HR and, and trained to be, um, you know, on the lookout for anything that feels like it is um, um, outside the realms of how we want to treat um, individuals um, and be inclusive and stay away from discriminating on protected group status. So that's the one thing. And then um, I also did a stint in research and really learned about, you know, the, the methodologies that are useful in making business decisions and what's, you know, what's really um, um, a valid way to look at um, populations of people. And when it comes to um, predicting behavior, you want to do a forward-looking longitudinal study, meaning you need to look at groups over time and, and have the ability to separate out um, the different factors that may be influencing behavior. Ideally, you do a testing control. That's not always possible. The problem with generational research is that most of it is, um, first of all, retrospective. It's a backwards look to kind of classify people after the fact, which scientists would probably call stamp collecting. Um, and it's also cross-sectional, which means it doesn't have the ability to tease out, is this a generational effect or is this a uh, an age effect? And is there something broader that's going on that affects all people just at different points in time? So uh, it's, and I think it's important as workplace practitioners that we, um, we do the, the work to understand what the research is because so much of the job, and Kim can probably back me up on this, is just talking to people about workplace and helping them to make sense of what they're reading in the popular media and understand um, you know, how to, to create the best work experience for their teams and themselves. Yeah, that relates to me, and, and Kim, feel free to jump in on this as well, but I'll share a little bit of personal perspective. I also... Um, Spent part of my career in research uh, at Herman Miller, and I also have a marketing background. I, I've been observing a little bit about why this topic has gotten so hot, and I've seen several instances, not just in the kind of real estate world, but beyond, of organizations that have a message that they want to deliver, and they'll go 
do some sort of survey of people, you know, typically millennials within a certain age group and say, do you like this? Do you not? And then when a, a majority say, yes, that's something we like, the message becomes millennials want this or Generation Z wants this, which is really not an objective look at what an entire user group, the whole population wants. It's, it's a little bit of um, crafty marketing in terms of being able to justify a message that may already be determined. And I think we're all right to be a little bit wary of that. The other conversation I had a while back was with a guy named um, Neil Howe, who was, I believe, the person who actually coined the term millennial. He's a researcher. He spoke at um, a conference that Aruba Networks was doing. He um, echoed this theme of, hang on, there might be some interesting um, information about how people move as cohorts throughout our culture. But all of this speculation around what a millennial might want was lots of hyperbole. I think the challenge is workplace strategists and real estate leaders want some sort of framework for making decisions on what people might actually like versus what sort of changes they might not like. Is is there a better method, either of you? What what are your thoughts on that? So I believe in in doing primary research. Well, first of all, taking advantage of what we already know. I mean, and there are some true statements that um, uh, we can lean on today. First of all, you know, natural light in the workplace. If you do one thing design wise, give people access to natural light and democratize photons. You know, that's a no brainer. Every generation responds to that. And there are other things as well that we can apply. But then in terms of the, the population itself, um, you know, I believe in a high touch approach when we do projects, meaning um, we're getting input from the end users and working through a process that's part research, part co-creation, so that they're invested in the space and um, are co-creators of their experience. Um, and that tends to be very effective. Um, when it comes to actually doing the measurements and, and researching, there are some tried and, and true tools that are probably beyond the scope of this conversation today, but we can do a lot with what we already know. Yeah, and by the way, I have to go back to the phrase democratizing photons. That one's got to lodge in my brain for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Are you referring to how it used to be that, and in some cases still is, upper management gets to the exterior of the building and everybody else is in the core, and now you're bringing natural light to everyone? Is is that the idea there? That's exactly right. And there are lots of other things we um, can be democratizing as well. But, you know, the bottom line is that everybody benefits from those things. And to your point about, you know, researchers who will, um, you know, do a focus group on, on millennials and say, aha, all millennials want X. Um, you know, that, that may be a true statement, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a useful one. And I think the problem is that people make an assumption about the inverse. They say, well, if millennials want natural light, that must mean that baby boomers like darkness. And nobody, of course, talks about Generation X because we're like the middle children of generations. But um, that's a side note. But I, I think that's the danger. And the truth is, you know, just because you asked, you didn't ask boomers doesn't mean that they don't value those things. Kim, any thoughts or, or uh, questions on the topic? What are you thinking? Um, I, I mean, I, I too love the democratizing analogy. And we um, are building out a new office for IDEO in um, the San Francisco area. Um, and I was like furiously writing notes thinking, I'm going to put this up in our project space because that's a really great one. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I was thinking, God, I feel bad about every millennial joke that I've ever contributed to um, after hearing all this. But it makes total sense. I think there's there's so much there about the fact that, um, 
you, what you're trying to do is create a workforce community and not siloing out these generations of different age groups of people. And so we really belong in, I mean, really believe into the culture of belonging, right? So that everyone belongs there and the community is there. And so um, that people are unique, but the age um, and generations does not make them unique is a really impactful thing to, to take away, particularly when building a new space out. That's a great point. I mean, honestly, until you said that, I don't know that I'd ever actually associate the notion that some of this generational conversation may interfere with creating a greater sense of community and belonging. Uh, it, it may be <laughs> leaning us towards more artificial divisions. I think yeah. part of the, the danger is that um, uh, it's kind of fun to think about these generational buckets. I mean, everybody's done the BuzzFeed quizzes, et cetera. Um, so there's a little bit of a sort of entertainment vanity play in there, but it's it's just not useful for making business decisions. And I think that's where we have to sort of put it in its place and say, okay, in order to make business decisions, we need to look at what are the needs of the population um, that we have? Um, what is the work that's required? Um, and how can we construct an environment where everybody does their best work? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we believe that belonging creates value for our business, right? So and getting everyone to feel like they belong to this larger community is an extremely important uh, business proposition. Can we just play on that for a second, Kim? I, I, that so resonates with me and with um, how we think at Herman Miller. Clearly, you think that your actual physical environment then plays a role in creating that sense of belonging? Yes. Yes. Um, and I think I believe that even more now, just having spent the last year or so in um, trying to think about our new space. And, but um, I think that space plays an incredibly crucial role into how people feel like they belong there or not. And I mean, um, people are unique, but, but needs are universal. Um, so, you know, what are the needs of our people and how do we make sure that they feel like they belong in the space? Are you an introvert and do you need that kind of work environment? All those things start to, to um, uh, play into designing the workplace for them. Yeah, that makes total sense. Well, let's continue on a little bit with your thinking, uh, particularly because you are right there um, in San Francisco, in Silicon Valley, a place that I think many of us have been watching for years in terms of advanced workplace strategy and an incredible emphasis on amenities. Uh, those of us in the Midwest and other parts of the countries sometimes marvel at some of the things we hear in terms of the emphasis on amenities um, within the workplace. Where do you think uh, we should begin to question the conventional wisdom there? Um, I don't blame you for marveling at it. I marvel at it too. Um, and uh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's sort of new to me as well, the, the, um, some of the expectations out there about amenities that are offered into the workplace. But, uh, you know, I think um, for a while it was, there was a bit of um, competitiveness among some of the Silicon Valley or Bay Area companies of what amenities you were providing to your employees. And there was, I think, a, some rhetoric of that is how you're going to retain your employees, that you're providing to them, I don't know, kombucha on tap and free meals and all of these things on um, all of these kind of quirky amenities that we've never seen in a workplace before. You know, certainly when I started in the workforce many years ago, you know, you were lucky to have a break room with like a Mr. Coffee Pot. So, um, I, when all of this started, I think that employers were, were, were thinking about it as this retention tool. And I don't know that that is accurate and that there isn't data really to, to um, show that that's how 
employees want to stay. And it's also not how we think that we are um, building um, fulfilled relationships among our people. So providing them all of these wonderful little perks are lovely. And I think that, um, you know, free peanut butter is certainly a point of making sure that people feel well taken care of and that their needs are met. But it's a lot more than that and that, um, you know, you're trying to create, I think, a human connection or coming to work enjoyable and fulfilling. And that can be misconstrued as, okay, well, if we have free food, that's what it is. But there's more to it in that it's more meaningful, memorable workplace experiences are the things that start to create value and culture. Um, and we want people to feel fulfilled and build um, I think relationships with each other more than worrying about whether or not they are going to have all these free amenities. Um, so I think that there's like a shift from thinking about uh, what's free, what's given to me, and there's more of a shift of people concerned about um, what will the what will the space be like? Am I going to have um, flexibility? Is there a room for me? Do I feel like I belong there? Will I have a human connection when I'm there? Will it will will going to work be enjoyable and will I feel fulfilled? I think that is what's retaining employees, what's driving employees to find the right space for them. I mean, people um, don't just work for a paycheck of course anymore. And in fact, I don't think that they work for free food anymore either. I think they work to feel fulfilled and to have and build relationships um, within their workplace. Yeah, uh, that's fascinating perspective. If I'm hearing you right, while amenities might be important and fun and cool, it sounds like they can be a distraction, not only for those involved in workplace in terms of getting to more meaningful um, elements of workplace experience and workplace strategy, but it can be a, a bit of a distraction for the employees too. If if what you're suggesting is that this emphasis on I get free stuff becomes more important than I get to work in a great community in a great place. Exactly. I think, yeah, I think there's a lot to that. It's like we want to provide things so that people feel comfortable and they feel like they have um, their needs met when they're at work, certainly, but we also want them to feel like they're a part of the community, right? So it's not what's being provided for me. It's more of what do we need as a community to feel fulfilled? And so we we, we have definitely um, tried to make a point of, um, we're all one community here in this office. And that's a really important component. It's not the facilities team that's providing all of this to you and you are the users of those amenities and things. It's that as a community together, we agree that if we have some of these amenity-like things around, we will all feel more comfortable, more fulfilled, more community-oriented. But it's a group thing. It isn't this like, I am just this consumer of these amenities within the building. And it's slightly nuanced, but I hope that made sense. It does. Adrian, any thoughts on the topic of amenities? Yeah, um, I have lots of thoughts on the topic of amenities. I think, um, you know, it, it, amenities definitely have their place. And, and I feel for Kim out there, you're in the, the heart of the arms race. <laughs> it feels like it can be a no-win um, proposition I think, at times. But, you know, um, when I talk to people, like, enter the arms race. You know, I think we just don't <laughs> enter in, right? It's like, right. <laughs> exactly. We're not yeah exactly well when i talk to workers you know the first thing is they want to do a good job they, they really do and that's the most important thing they want to be set up to do great work um and then they also have 
lives outside of work and they want to make the best use of their time. And so, you know, where I think a lot of assumptions have been made about generations that are not helpful, there are definitely um, needs that shift as people move through different life stages that as employers, we need to be sensitive to. Um, and those can make a big difference for people. Um, you know, I, I tell people all the time that the best coffee in the world will not make up for a bad work schedule or a terrible commute. It just won't, you know, so, so like, those are the fundamental things. And then everything else is sort of, um, you know, uh, an add on to that. The other piece I would say is that depending on the, the product that or service that your company is providing, amenities can be a great opportunity for um, reconnection to the brand and exposure to the product. So, you know, that, that I think is, is something that every organization can do uniquely, um, wh which can provide um, an amenity that's not, um, that gets you out of the arms race because nobody else can do it, right? It's your specific product that people are, believe in and you're giving them the opportunity to experience it. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's the skeptical Gen Xer in me or the Midwesterner, but th there's a few other things that I have heard other people talk about and that I've thought um, along this this line. One is sometimes amenities feel like they're masking a desire for people to spend tons of time in the workplace, right? So like having laundry facilities or free free dinners it, it occasionally to me implies you should be here all the time. The other has to do with just the sustainability of some of these things. I mean, it's it, there's a certain amount of risk when you create a level of expectation that lunches most days, as an example, might be free um, yeah. and things get tough economically, you know? Yes, we, you know, we feel that. And I think it's one of the reasons why we haven't, I mean, we don't, we are in, we are in the middle of an area where lots and lots of companies provide so much to their employees and we've never bought into that. And I think some of it exactly that, Ryan, is like, we know that our business will ebb and flow and taking something away from an employee is never what you wanna do that they've gotten used to. So there's a bit of like, hang on a second, we want you to all feel that this workplace experience is working for you, but we also aren't gonna going to like overextend into an area where we might potentially have to pull back on it some moment and that would feel worse. Yeah, okay. So it, it sounds to me like the answer is pay attention to amenities, but when they begin to become a distraction or too much of a focus, then maybe maybe we need to reel back a little bit. Yeah, I just think that workplace experience shouldn't be about the three things that you're getting at work. And I think that smart employees, that's not what they're looking for, that they are that they're looking looking to have um, a more meaningful workplace experience than just free coffee. Awesome. All right. Well, I want to shift the topic to one that I think about all the time, um, and that's technology in the workplace. And I didn't give much of a back of my background in the beginning of this, but basically, I don't have a technology background originally. I've been in the the furniture industry for I don't know twenty five, twenty six years. Came out of primarily a marketing background and started to get more and more immersed in technology in the last ten to fifteen years. And um, I started to get involved in it when mobile like like mobile mobility strategies began to impact the way people use the workspace a lot and people working outside of the office began to impact a lot of thoughts on facilities management and occupancy planning the vibe that i've heard and i hear it over and over but it feels very strong in recent years is this kind of myth among real estate thinkers that technology changes so quickly that its impacts can't be anticipated 
And because I had to learn this stuff from scratch, um, I maybe worked with some of those assumptions for a while, as well, but it's really not the case. Um, yes, we are often in this industry surprised by the impacts of technology, but the impact isn't, isn't really um, caused by this tremendous speed. It has to do with the breadth of information that's out there. Um, I know we're on an audio only podcast, but for those that have never seen it, it's worth Googling something called the hype cycle from a technology research firm called Gartner. It's a cycle that basically explains the maturity of technologies. They, they release it every year. They focus on emerging technologies. The individual technologies aren't necessarily the point, but if you look at the cycle, it explains that technologies are developed and within fairly short amount of time, there's a lot of hype around them. That's why they call it the hype cycle. And they actually call the, the highest point, the peak of inflated expectations, because everyone expects the technology to have a really immediate and forceful impact. But the very next phase, they called the trough of disillusionment because it's when the technology has to go mature. And technologies take years to mature. Things that people might suddenly be surprised by are actually often very old. Um, there's generally a, a belief that going from the beginning of that cycle when a technology first comes around to the point of maturity is a 20 year process. If I look at how technologies impact place, whether that's smart building technologies impacting the actual building or whether it's technologies that impact the way people work within the building, I think it takes even longer. So as an example, uh, I, I, I get asked a lot about virtual reality. Virtual reality is about 50 years old. Uh, the first headsets for like flight simulations came around in the 70s. There was lots of excitement about VR in the 90s. It, um, it really only worked its way off the hype cycle. Um, Oh, in the last 10 years, and now I think collectively we're all trying it, seeing where it can be of use and where it won't be of use in the creation of the built environment. Augmented reality, which is um, kind of closely following it, just, just came off the hype cycle like a year and a half ago. And so I recognize that um, technology can be a convoluted topic, and the terminology certainly is, is uh, difficult for many to get their heads around. But the good news is, if you can begin paying attention to those technologies that may impact place, you can actually journey along with them for a really long time. So there are things being discussed now, I'll give you an example, like digital twins, which is the idea that um, BIM Revit type files that are used today to create buildings might someday be used to manage buildings um, as kind of this dynamic virtual model of a building. Will it happen? Don't know. If it does happen, it'll probably take a good 10 to 20 years to really mature to the point where most of us might refer to the digital twin of our workplace. Um, but even the slightest amount of curiosity uh, to be able to get invested in hearing what people talk about um, really pays off, actually. The challenge is not getting too caught up in the hype because the mistakes that so many of us have made, and I've been guilty of it and so many of others, is you get excited about a technology and it feels more real than it really is because it hasn't had time um, to mature. I'll give one other quick example outside of the world of workplace. I happen to live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where we have um, the longest, most complex autonomous vehicle route in the world. Like the public can just hop into a self-driving car provided by the city. Um, and you can imagine being in Michigan, self-driving cars, we've been talking about it for years. When you really begin to get into one and ride around in one, 
it becomes real evident why it's taking so long to mature to the point where these will be a reality for us. Um, and there's still a bunch of time left until all of us decide to buy cars or call up a, a Lyft driver, but instead to get into a car that drives itself. So my message to tech, uh, to excuse me, to real estate uh, uh, practitioners is always, yeah, there are, there are some interesting and complex things happening in the technology world, but let's begin a dialogue now if possible, begin a dialogue between real estate and IT about the various technologies that um, the employees might be using or that may be incorporated in the, the building. And even if you don't make any sort of decisions or about this this year, it pays off because the stuff you learn about today is probably the things that you'll be um, considering how to handle 10 years from now. I'm curious that the two of you, um, I know both of you are pretty uh, enlightened on the topic of tech, but um, what are your thoughts on this? Have you run into any sort of similar beliefs? I was just thinking about how um, I really like, you know, your idea of this, the, the hype cycle um, and how to separate the hype actually from the promise of technology. Um, just with us building out this new office and really trying to get the programming right. And then it's often that we're thinking, uh, but what will it be like in 10 years? What will the technology be like in 10 years? And trying to understand all that um, and, you know, how to reduce the risk of the investment that we might make into this building. Um, so I think that that really resonates with anyone looking at uh, future real estate for their building. And because it is nerve wracking to think about if we put this technology in now, it is ghastly expensive, but are we ripping it back out in a short period of time because new technology is emerging? And um, so trying to understand the hype cycle is a brilliant way of interpreting all of the stuff that's out there and um, the expectations of it all, particularly in building out a new office. <laughs> yeah, and I'll just add to that, Kim, knowing that you are a, a great proxy for those people that are thinking about new spaces, I would really encourage you to use your gut reaction to a lot of the technologies that may be proposed. Um, generally, we see uh, consumer technologies these days setting the standard for what a great technology experience is. People want things that are intuitive, simple, mm -hmm. consistent. Simple. If simple. yeah, and and if you come across solutions that someone is saying everyone will want to use this or this is going to be really great, in your gut you think, I'm not sure people will learn it, or I don't see anybody <laughs> naturally gravitating towards doing that now. You're probably mm -hmm. right because there's been a host of technologies that have promised um, to transform the way we work. I'll, I'll pick on digital whiteboards for a second. That's been a 25, yeah, 30 year conversation. That. But the reality is there's there's good reasons why people like stinky squeaky expo markers. <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's a tactile thing. It, it also um, doesn't require anyone learn it. And typically if you look at the user scenario where somebody wants to whiteboard something, it's a transition between I have an important thought and I need to express it. And the last thing they want to do is turn on some device. And so human nature is such that it will always govern what technologies are actually realized or not. Um, and mm -hmm. even though some of us in, in the real estate and facilities world might say, well, we're not technologists in terms of our background, your instincts probably are better than you realize. You know, I may have interrupted uh, you. Did you have some thoughts on the topic? Well, um... I mean, I, I completely agree with you. And um, I think, you know, we can, the, the, we, we have the, the danger of the bright, shiny object, which can distract, distract people. Um, and, you know, to your point, people put, they inflate its importance um, and, you know, maybe uh, could benefit from stepping back and thinking about 
really what is the use value of this technology? Is there is it truly replacing, um, you know, a, a, a a process that we have today that needs to be replaced, or do we have an analog solution that's just fine and we can put our energies elsewhere? So, you know, I think um, it's another sort of emotional reaction um, that people have to technology um, without uh, always considering that it, technology has to then sync back up with the capital cycle, you know, with our of regulatory cycles and frankly buildings that maybe we haven't addressed in a while and are not going to address for a while. So, you know, we have we'll have a range of technology solutions and we may not want to be implementing the latest and greatest in, in every location. Um, but I do think that there's you know a lot of confusion around um, the utility of different technologies and how responsive we need to be, where you know, in terms of usefulness, we need to be looking critically at how can this help our business be better? And what do I really need to respond to today versus you know, what might be further down the pike? I totally agree with that. And um, I'm probably gonna say, sound cliche when I say it, but there really is value in trying to find somebody within enterprise IT, within the IT organization, to simply have a conversation um, with about what technologies they believe will become really um, heavily adopted or used in your organization based on the work needs of your employees. And I like to encourage people to have that conversation, not at the beginning of some big project where there's a budget and a deadline and everybody's got a chart of work and they need to start running. But um, if you can identify somebody in IT who's interested in how people work and having a question around, so what are you seeing in terms of the adoption of technology in the organization? What are people using? Um, I had the the chance to write a piece for Cornet, and I and I love just how much Cornet is sharing insights around technology. But I had a piece, uh, a chance to write a piece not too long ago, um, relating to the impact of of platforms like Slack and Microsoft Teams and other collaboration platforms that basically allow people to be part of a collaborative process um, when they have a few minutes. You know, this is the way Google Docs works too, right? You can jump in and spend a few minutes, but it, the collaboration doesn't always mean there's a bunch of people in a room at the same time. It sometimes is distributed and asynchronous. And when platforms like that become really heavily used, it's kind of funny, but somebody in order to collaborate might need a focused place to use their laptop for a couple hours, which is counterintuitive to maybe the way our industry has thought about collaboration in the past. And so long story short, for me, I think it's it's a longer term journey, immersing yourself in the topic a little bit early and ideally being able to have a conversation with some of the IT folks in your organization. It pays off. It might not help, you know, the decision that you need to make on your workplace standards in six weeks, but it does pay off over the long run. Um, well, listen, let me pivot the conversation towards a closing question, which is we've had the chance to um, kind of have some fun with some contrarian perspectives. It's been um, a common scenario for me to be in a conversation or be at a conference where it feels like everybody just is kind of tacitly agreeing with some sort of hypothesis, like um, this is what millennials want, or it's critical that you offer the most important amenities uh, to retain employees, or technology is moving so fast we can't understand it. These won't be the only topics. In fact, there's probably a dozen other topics we could have shown today. What do you think it's going to take for all of us just as CRE practitioners, workplace practitioners to maintain like an independent mindset um, as these things get more and more hyped? Any thoughts? 
So I'll start. Um, I, I do think that as workplace practitioners, it's on us to have um, a, a working knowledge of the research that's out there and to help people separate fact from fiction. Um, and you know, we can do that by being good students of the body of research that exists. I don't think we all have to be, you know, social science experts, but a working knowledge is really helpful. And then also to be conducting our own um, research, whether we're using a Leesman survey or some other tool or, you know, measuring badge swipes, but to be able to provide some objective data that tells the story of what's happening right now. Um, I think that's immensely helpful and to, you know, uh, without, I don't think you have to be contrarian, but um, to help people to sort of separate out what's, uh, you know, an inflammatory popular news piece versus what's legitimate research finding that we can use to make a better decision. Awesome. Kim, any thoughts? Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, Kim. Okay, I was just, I was, um, just thinking about what you had said, Ryan, about using your gut when you're making instinctual uh, choices with technology. I think that also plays with trying to um, keep an independent mindset about all of the workplace choices that we have um, in that when you know your population and your community, I think that when you're engaged with them, that you trust them and they trust you, you're able to make the um, best decision for that group of people. I think that it's when you start to lose the um, sense of community of your people and understanding of their needs that you uh, get off course and um, may be succumb down to more hyperbole and things that are out there in the media, like, oh, you have to have all of these amenities for your employees. Um, so I think that it's knowing your community and knowing what's keeping them engaged and fulfilled in the workplace. It really is more about the human, right? And if you bring it back to what does the human need to do their work? I mean, we as real estate, we're um, we're a major bridge between the human and the business. So it's our job to stay focused on what does the business need to achieve, and what do the people need in order to make that happen. And I I think without um, being a reductionist, it's almost that simple. Yeah, I would I totally agree. Know your people and know what they need what they need in order to be successful. I do too. I think that's a great note for us to wrap on. So I want to take a moment to thank our friends at Cornet for allowing us to have this conversation today. And in particular, I want to thank both of you, Adrian Kim, for your time. Thanks for being a part of this. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.